Joining us now in studio, Judge Richard Miner, who sits on the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals. Thank you for correcting me for uh, my mistake earlier in the show. I appreciate that. Not a problem. I appreciate that. All right, so uh, a big national story that kind of hit both, uh, I guess, the political side of things as well as the sports world when the Supreme Court uh, they made a unanimous decision in regards to uh, the NCAA and their legality of everything that they're doing. So I uh, wanted to have you on from a, you know, a judge's point of view and kind of take us through everything that went, ha- uh, went down. All right, I will do that. Um, this lawsuit started in 2014. There was a trial in federal court in California in 2018, and then the appeal to the Supreme Court that was ruled on this Monday. Monday. So basically what you have is the issue before the Supreme Court was, does the NCAA – eligibility rules regarding compensation of student-athletes violate antitrust. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the broad issue. The district court had found um, two things. One, that the NCAA could not limit educational benefits, which they had been doing. That was the first part of uh, her ruling. The second part was that um, the limitations on unrelated educational benefits, i.e. direct pay, paying payers to play, um, did not violate antitrust, and so she said the NCAA could do that. The NCAA appealed because they didn't want on record that they violated antitrust. The plaintiffs, uh, which included, I think it's about a class action 40,000 student athletes, FBS uh, football, Division One and then men and women's basketball division one. They did not appeal. They were happy. Could have been the fact that the NCAA um, paid them about $280 million um, Mm. to the class members. Um, So the direct pay was not appealed to the Supreme Court. So what the Supreme Court did on Monday was say, you cannot limit educational benefits. It's a violation of antitrust. We are not deciding the issue of um, other benefits that may be given to players. Um, But if you read the opinion, it's very narrow. However, the tremors of the opinion, and especially Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence, um, my guess is the lawyers for the NCAA are up every night um, until they figure out how they're going to to fight that battle when it comes, because Justice Kavanaugh basically invited the next lawsuit saying that any limitations was a violation of um, antitrust. I would say um, I heard yesterday from several people talking about, well, this just opens the door for the universities to now um, provide vehicles uh, to players because that's an educational expense. They got to be able to get to class. They got to be able to travel to the school. Um, That was one of the arguments of the NCAA um, as to why they should be allowed this. They wanted immunity or an exemption from the antitrust. Um, and Justice Gorsuch um, wrote, which I thought was pretty, um, pretty interesting. All right, that um, the NCAA is free to forbid in-kind benefits unrelated to a student's actual education. Nothing stops it from enforcing a no no Lamborghini rule, um, which tells me that vehicles are not an educational expense in the minds of the justices of the Supreme Court. 
um, so you will not be seeing um, vehicles go to students. So what what are, what are some of the things that branch out the farthest that fall under the educational I, benefits? For example, um, as of like before this ruling, I think players got tuition, room and board, mm -hmm. book expenses for the classes that they were taking, and they got meal plans, meal and plans. then they got a stipend that fell under this right. too, right? Yeah, that's correct. So now, um, I think when you look at this broadly, and it'll have to be interpreted by each university. For example. Can they now give laptops to student athletes? Educational that's probably expense? an educational expense, and that's right. probably allowed. Yeah. Study abroad programs. So now you're a university. Let's say you happen to be a university that owns the castle over in Italy. Um, and that program is offered to every student here at Auburn. Um, and so maybe part of your thing is now, hey, we got this castle over in Italy, student abroad program. They can now pay, I think, for those. Those are educational expenses. They got student abroad programs that go basically anywhere. I know that basketball was big in Italy. Um, uh, sure. So they, these are the kind of things I think that, that you'll start to see. Um, Postgraduate scholarships. You know, come to our university, get your get your degree. Plus, you can go on to graduate school, and we'll pay for that. I think those are the type of things that you may see, um, which is going to benefit, once again, I, th I say the bigger schools um, over smaller schools um, for the most part. But but this opinion strictly related um, to educational benefits. Um, I will say that part of the NCAA's argument was amateurism. You know, it's an amateur sport. Um, it appears the Supreme Court did not buy that. Justice Gorsuch goes on for pages about the history of student-athletes, mm -hmm. um, tracing it back to the 1850s for the first um, intercollegiate uh, sporting event, which was rowing. Um, and a railroad executive um, sponsored the event. The contestants, which would be the student-athletes, um, were provided what it called lavish prizes and unlimited alcohol. Um, he went on to talk about in the 1930s and 40s, um, I think at Pittsburgh, the freshmen uh, went on boycott because they weren't being paid as much as the senior players. Um, so they boycotted playing. And then one player, um, I forgot which university, I think it's Pittsburgh, um, talked about how he had to take a pay cut when he went to the NFL because he got paid um, for every touchdown that he made. I think this was in the 40s. Wow. Um, and the money would be placed under his pillow. Um, and he would be taking a pay cut when he graduated, so he wanted to stay in college for as long as he could. Um, he just traces the student-athletes all the way back from 1852 to current day mm -hmm. and talked about the amount of money um, that is now spent. You know, basketball, March Madness, 1986, $16 million a year is what, you know, they paid. Now it's over a billion dollars a year for March Madness. Right. And the, and the different revenues, and he talked about how much the commissioners made and athletic directors made and coaches make, and then what the players don't make. Yeah, I mean, the growth has been incredible. So as far as the antitrust laws, I mean, how is that going to be changed moving forward? I mean, how can there be another entity where the NCAA doesn't control everything? That's going to be a great question for the lawyers. Um, they both Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh kind of address that and say, look, it's really a legislative issue. Um, I can foresee the NCAA going to Congress, 
trying to get an exemption um, from antitrust, and if Congress passes that, then they wouldn't fall under the antitrust. And that's how and that's how baseball and yeah, foot baseball. and professional football um, get around this very very thing is they have an exemption. Um, I've seen where, and it, it makes sense. I'm not sure you would actually see it in college athletics. Um, but with the collective bargaining, bargaining agreement, there's been an argument made that the players ought to form their own union, be allowed to do a collective bargaining. That would take it out from uh, the antitrust. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I think people may miss in this, this applies to the NCAA. It doesn't apply, I don't believe, to the conferences or to the universities. So they can still limit what they, what benefits that they give. Now, when they do that, they're competing against other universities for players, um, and you may not want to limit yourself, but but they have that authority. So go ahead, Lindsay. I'll say. So the next step is probably going to be different conferences and or schools creating some sort of rule structure behind what constitutes an educational benefit and what you that, can and can't do. That's correct, and, okay. and within the. The injunction that the federal judge in California that she entered, um, if there's a dispute, the NCAA can come back to her um, as to is this an educational benefit if they if they want to. Like maybe somebody says it is, they say it's not, they can go back to this particular judge as part of the injunction um, and get a ruling about what is and what is not an educational benefit. Judge, was Title IX brought into this at all? Does, it, does, that, does that play into this? I'm going to say it plays into it. In Justice Kavanaugh's um, concurrence, he goes through specifically and says, these are the issues that may come up. This is why the legislature, legislative branch needs to look at it. And specifically, um, he talks about Title IX. He talks about... Um, different legal issues um, that would pop up that that the court doesn't need to be brought into. For example, one of the things he brought up was, do you pay the athletes more on those sports who bring in more money as opposed to those sports um, that are either revenue neutral or actually lose money? Right, because, I mean, that's been the biggest question from, like, logistics, like, how do you do this? Like. Absolutely. You know, do you have to pay a football player the same as, like, a, a volleyball player? Because, right. like, that's, you know, that, that's the big question. And, and what he said, he said, how, could any, how would any compensation regime comply with Title IX if paying student athletes requires something like a salary cap for a competitive balance? How would that cap be administered? There are now 180,000 Division I student athletes. What's a financially sustainable way of fairly compensating some or all of those student athletes? And he goes on to talk about legislation would be one option or colleges and student athletes could potentially engage in collective bargaining um, to provide student athletes a fair share. Um, the, the one thing I think that really got the NCAA's attention um, and is why I would probably be somewhat worried if I represented them, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on their theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. Under ordinary principles of antitrust, it is evidence why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. Right, and that's kind of the quote that got picked up and is on all these graphics on you know social media and all that. I mean, that's pretty. That's a pretty loud statement. It's a very loud statement. Now, it's only from Justice Kavanaugh. It wasn't joined by any of the other justices or the chief justice. Um, 
but you can read through the lines when you read Justice Gorsuch's opinion for the unanimous court and Justice Kavanaugh. Um, I would personally, um, if I were the NCAA, I'm not sure I would want to appear back before the U.S. Supreme Court, which I think gives credence to the fact they're now going to be forced to come up with some kind of alternative um, program and plan than what we have now. So how much time do they have to adjust what they're doing? And is what's happening on July 1st with the name, image, and likeness, is that yeah. is that enough? Yeah, the NIL, the name, image, likeness, um, was not a part of this. Right. Um, this was under the Federal Antitrust Sherman Act. Um, the NIL um, is going to be under state law. It's kind of a right-to-your-own-publicity kind of deal. Um, so those issues were not before the court. I think with the educational benefits, you will probably already have started seeing some of that um, from different universities. Um, I'm sure that it will take some time to decide on an individual university basis what they want to offer as their educational package. Mm -hmm. um, and how much, you know, ultimately how much money is that going to cost um, to do whatever we decide to put in this basket? Mm -hmm. Right. So as far as, like, predicting what's next, we don't really know. It just depends on what the NCAA decides to do. I think the first thing is the NCAA is going to have to decide, um, now that the Supreme Court has decided for them that they can't limit educational benefits, um, there are some pending lawsuits um, I think that got amended either Monday afternoon or first thing Tuesday morning mm. um, to probably take up the issue about the direct payments to student athletes. I call pay to play. Yeah. Um, so I think the time clock's ticking eventually, how long it takes to get to the Supreme Court, um, or the NCAA comes up with something that satisfies everyone um, and takes that issue off the board. Now, Judge, I've seen a lot of people – Talking about it's like okay, they may pay these players. You know, somebody may get a deal for like ten thousand dollars or something like that. But it, like, it, you're not going to see these like hundred thousand dollar deals for these players, whether it's name, image, and likeness, or down the road when potentially you can pay players. And my my question is legally, is there a difference between paying someone ten thousand dollars or paying them a hundred thousand dollars? Legally, probably not. Yeah, th that's what I thought. Um. And I'm not going to say that you won't see under name, image, and likeness some players that won't be paid $100,000. Um, there may not be many of them, um, and it's going to depend on the schools. But one of the things you've got to factor in, um, Oregon now I think Nike goes, University. Nike goes University, to the top yeah. of the list. If, if Tim Cook decides that it's time for Apple to get into the NCAA college football business um, and they can stroke checks, maybe here at Auburn or wherever. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to see a huge number of players get exorbitant amounts of money. Now, you may see a few um, just because those businesses think it's worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the question then becomes, if, if my university is a Nike school, can I do name, image, and likeness with Adidas? Um, those are issues that are going to have to be taken up. And then my guess is the first time that some player – is offered a whole lot of money at a Nike school to endorse Adidas and wear Adidas products, um, there's your next lawsuit. So the big winners are going to be the lawyers um, for the coming years. As Shocking. Always, um, <laughs> as it is in everything. 
when it comes to, to those legal issues. But those are all things that are going to have to be decided. If you had to predict what the next lawsuit is regarding the NCAA, what do you think it would be? Uh, the next lawsuit, I would believe, based on this, would be whether or not the NCAA can limit the compensation of student-athletes through direct pay. Um, and in you know, foreshadowing that, it appears, if I was a betting person, um, that the Supreme Court's probably going to say, no, you can't limit them. Um, and that's why I think the, the clock is ticking about how f- for the NCAA and the conferences um, to come up with a resolution before it gets that far. So reading that opinion from Kavanaugh, it seemed like he was telling the NCAA that you should look into some sort of collective bargaining with, with the union for the athletes. How is that going to work with some of the states that have um, different laws against unions? Is that going to be something where a, a sports union – is, well, is different I, from those unions? Or? I, I think what would have to happen is it would be a, a something passed by Congress. Okay. You'd have federal preemption that would take precedence over state law, um, just like with your pro football, pro baseball, pro basketball. Right. Um, and you'd have to do it through federal legislation, um, which I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's a former NCAA coach um, that understands all of this that's in the Senate if people will just listen. Mm. Um but once again, it 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 looks like it. That's the way. If I were the NCAA, that's probably what where your your chips are going to be now. Is what legislation can we get passed federally um, to address some of the issues of this case? Right. It, I've seen some people with a hypothetical with like giving more power to the conferences because this whole time I've been like, why does the SEC care at all? about the rules that the NCAA has. Like, that's been this weird thing. It's like, why are we all acting like they have power? Because and, and, they kind of don't. And Justice Gorsuch kind of says that in his opinion in one way, is that this this applies to the NCAA. It doesn't apply to conferences. It doesn't apply to universities. And and once you – the NCAA rules over everyone within the, the realm of, let's just say, college football. Once you take away that power and say you can't limit it, but individual schools or conferences could limit it, because there's still a bargaining process between students and those organizations. If I don't like the rules of the SEC, I can always go play in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 sure. where their rules are different. Mm-hmm. There's no infringement on that fair market like there is with the blanket NCAA saying you can't do this anywhere within the college football realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this, in a way, um, kind of solidifies the power that conferences have if they would just reach out and take that power. Right. I expected that movement to happen a few years ago um, because, like, the Power Five, I just don't understand why the Power Five conferences just don't band together and be like, okay, we're just going to play football with each other. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why we're listening to you. But it seems like it's getting close to that. I mean, what do you think is more likely? The NCAA just totally changes everything that it's going to do? Or there's kind of some, you know, these conferences kind of do their own thing? My guess is the conferences will look towards the NCAA to try to figure something out just based on history um, for whatever reason. I can't tell you what that reason is. Um, but I do think that over time, as the power seems to have gone more to the, to the conference, I say the conference commissioners, um, I think you'll see, it, see that continue. Yeah. Um, but the clock's on the NCAA to, to keep college football the way it is. And I'm not sure once we open that door, I'm not sure what it looks like oh, 10 or 15 years from now. Right. Um, I, I read an article yesterday that said, well, if would this apply to, to high school athletes? Can high school athletes now 
um, go out and get certain benefits? Um, that, I think that may be a little bit different, but that's a great question. And I wouldn't surprise me to see some lawsuit um, for I mean, some of your top high school athletes. To I mean, it's definitely school. schools that make money from high school athletes and local businesses and things like that. Um, is the fact that they're not 18, is that, right. does that matter? I think, I think there's differences. Um, yeah. But it was, a, it was an interesting hypothetical that one of the sports reporters threw out. Yeah, that is interesting. It's like if they turn 18, does that change yeah. something, you know, based on what state you're in? That'd be that'd be fun. That'd be a fun thing to talk about. Judge, thank you so much for uh, for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Um, is there anything else about this that we didn't really get a chance to touch on? No, I did. I thought that it was very interesting um, because we live in the Southeastern Conference world uh, that Justice Gorsuch, when talking about amateurism, quoted uh, a former SEC commissioner, which I can only believe to be uh, Commissioner Kramer, um, that we really don't know what amateurism is, and he couldn't really define it, and the district court judge couldn't define it. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like the U.S. Supreme Court is very skeptical of calling college athletics amateurism. Yeah. Judge, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. That is, uh, that is Judge Richard Miner, who sits on the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Lindsay, good show. Good show. Listen again tomorrow. I think we should. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Have a fantastic day, everyone, and get back to work. <laughs>